Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everyone, it's Brian. The real estate market is crazy. Finding an agent you can trust isn't easy. Thankfully, the one thing I'm more certain of than Brian Schottenheimer calling a running play on second and long is that you can trust John Hurlbut and his team at Altitude Homes. I know John personally, and nobody does it better in Pierce, South King, and Thurston County. So head on over to altitude-re.com HB to get real estate help you need. That's altitude-re.com HB. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. Again, that's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. It's Brian and Mauser. Welcome to episode 67 of Real Hawk Talk. Uh, this is Brian and Mauser uh, at Hawk Blogger on Twitter. And we've got Jeff Simmons uh, who just joins um, at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. We got a hey, team crew tonight. Welcome, dude. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good, man. I'm good. Can you see the shirt I'm wearing? I love it. I love it. Classic. Um, <laughs> we've got folks uh, uh garrett in the chat is saying that this start time is killer for eastern time and uh well believe me i know you know it dude but you're you, you know you're generally the one that actually wants it to be later so uh there's that um yeah we uh i think evan is flying into seattle as we speak uh we're gonna be checking in with him tomorrow night and nathan uh Unfortunately, Josh uh, Cable Thanos is in Houston. We were hoping to have him out tomorrow night as well. Will's going to be there. Wish you could be there, dude. It would be fun to have you out in Seattle. We're going to have to figure that out sometime this year. I know, I know. I was talking to Evan about going to Arizona too. We're, we're trying to make something work. That'd be cool. Yeah, I, I was really hoping to – I always love going to the Arizona game, but, um, man, it's uh, – it's early this year too, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's really early this year, and I don't think I can make it happen. But but we'll see. It's a great it's a great place to go watch a game. It's always fun, and the stadium's good, and the fans are pretty pretty chill there. So, um, before we get started, we got so much to cover. We're going to do a Q and A episode um, as well as cover some some topics that you and I have already discussed. We got some questions already in from Twitter that are really good. Looking forward to going through. We'll hit those right at the top, uh, and then go into some of the topics. Obviously, folks in the chat, uh, please feel free to ask questions. Um, when we ask for them, it'll probably be the best time to ask those questions because that's when we uh, will be able to monitor the, the chat and, and uh, respond to them. Uh, and then, you know, 
what I'd ask it, everyone knows, but um, you know, we're we think we finally figured out our solution for how to do the pod without Google Hangouts, and uh, really want to thank the folks over at Zoom who've been helping us out get started on on uh, using that software. Uh, it's a it's a good messaging system, um, meeting system, but it's also working for live streaming as well, and we've got it hooked up um, kind of with all sorts of cool bells and whistles. It is uh, a new expense. It's a new expense for the show. It's something we're going to have to take on on an ongoing basis. And what I just ask is, is if folks can help us uh, by supporting the show, if you can go over to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Hawkblogger. Sign up uh, as little as five bucks a month. If you can do more, that's great. If you want to be a sponsor, join our sponsor crew. Um, easy to do that there as well, or you can join the Ring of Honor, um, you know, as a as a patron as well. Going to do a lot of cool stuff with our patrons, but we really, really appreciate it. We've had a bunch of new patrons, probably had 30 or 40 new patrons since we've started asking folks to help us out and really appreciate that. Um, so if you can do that, that would be great. I'll drop the link in um, uh, to the chat um, if anybody wants to sign up doing that now. And then, um, you know, if you can't for whatever reason or won't um, do the, the Patreon support, a lot of easy ways to support. Like, you know, give us a thumbs up on, on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, watch videos, uh, give us a review on iTunes. That's huge. Five-star reviews, really helpful. And if it's not five stars, tell us why. Um, you know, share the show with a friend, listen to the show, watch episodes, all that stuff is super helpful. Um, and you know, we just would appreciate it as we're trying to grow the show and, and, uh, and donate to charity along the way. So I uh, really appreciate everybody doing what they can to help out. And, uh, let's see, um, Jeff, we've got a game coming on Sunday, which is super weird. I cannot quite wrap my head around the fact that we've got three three like the majority of the preseason is still left to be played it feels like we've been in preseason forever i can't imagine what it's like for the players i think i heard shoddy say that training camp was over yesterday and they still have three preseason game left yeah it, training camp so, ended yesterday it is really weird so you're right yeah that's i think that's why the league wants to shorten this down two is probably the right number yeah they got they have a lot of preseason games left in the fourth one. The fourth one is hard to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And they kind of almost made the first one like the fourth one by playing so many of the young players. And yeah. uh, oh, I got to say, before we get into the questions, I, I'm like, I go back to work Monday for the first time in two months. And oh, uh, man, that's going <laughs> to... That's gonna be brutal, but um, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, I'm looking forward to keeping the pod going, and uh, we'll see we'll see what goes on um, uh, after this game. So I'll be writing my first real hawk talk. Well, actually, my first morning after column Monday morning feels like a real football. Uh, <laughs> Back can you return to work? Oh my yeah, God. exactly. It's 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 a good company. Good well, so let's get started. We've got some really, really good questions. I'm going to start with the questions. We've got a bunch of topics. Um, and I'm going to start with the questions that people asked on Twitter, respond to the post. And the first awesome. one comes from uh, at Keith versus Russia, I think is his handle. No and 
a really thoughtful question. His question is, I'd like for each of you guys to discuss your biggest strength in analyzing football and where you'd like to see your growth personally and how you approach football and what you need to learn more about. So do you want to, you know, you want to give that some thought? Yeah, that is a really good question. Um, I'd say my strength just, I don't, for those who don't know me that well, my background came in media. My strength when I covered football, which I did for a long time in Toronto, so I was covering the whole league, was really like roster management, roster knowledge, and understanding depth charts, understanding like league, what the different teams around the league looked like. I had a really good understanding of the draft. So that has always been my strength, just like roster management, understanding depth charts, strength of rosters, understanding schemes and what different coaches do. And football is really complicated like that compared to other sports. Really, One position coach can really change the way a team operates. And so I've all, that's where I've kind of stood out. So for me, that's been a strength for me. An area I'd like to get better is in terms of just understanding the more I can learn about film is more interesting. I know a lot of the analytics guys, Nathan has been really, I, I know he's going to kick side to this, but I like, I've, I don't always agree with Nathan, but I, I appreciate his different perspective than mine. Cause I just don't view the way that sometimes him or Ben, I'll read things that Ben writes on Twitter and it's just stuff I completely disagree with, but I appreciate his perspective. So I, I'm open to learning just how maybe how offensive line are judged or how defensive schemes are different. So for me, it's film and learning like responsibilities of linemen or responsibility of corners and how they're developed, that kind of thing. But I, I don't know if I've ranted too much, but that's kind of my strength and my weakness for sure. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's, that's really interesting. And uh, you know, I always listen when I when I listen back to the pod occasionally, I'm often struck by your insights. You know, you speak quietly, but you carry a big stick. And uh, a lot of the things that you say, I'm like, yeah, yeah, Jeff's <laughs> you've nailed it. So. Oh, you muted. I think we just lost you somehow. Yeah, your audio cut out. Let's try it. There you go. You're back. Okay, I said I'm like the uh, Cam Chancellor of the podcast. All right, I like it. I like it. Yeah. Um, as far for me, that question, um, biggest strength. So I feel pretty confident. Um, I've learned to trust my evaluation of players. Um, you know, when I see them in person during practice, especially, especially I feel confident on corners, receivers, uh, linebackers to some extent. Um, you know, I think those are the positions I feel strongest about. I, I think that as far as from positions and also pass protection, uh, offensive line, I think is something I can evaluate from afar, but uh, things that I, I have tougher time, you know, that I would need to learn more about safety play in general is something I, you know, there's a lot of assignments that are not clear to me. So knowing their responsibilities is different. Um, zone coverages and understanding that and really understanding responsibilities and being able to assess who is supposed to do what and how they, you know, one-on-one -on -one is a little easier. Man coverage is easier to understand when someone's doing well or not. Uh, I would also add, you know, run blocking generally you have a decent feel, but it's just hard to evaluate in practice at this point, yeah. the way that they play. It used to be something I felt a little more confident in, but I really don't now. Um, so, I mean, those are some of the positions that, that I feel more or less confident in. And then I'd add that 
I, you know, I, I've, th- there's been a bunch of the guys I've, I've talked about at times watching film with them and learning about that. It's certainly something I'd like to do. There's guys like Maddie Brown out there that I think do a great job with film breakdown and, you know, obviously all the national guys. And uh, I learned from those. I think it's interesting. I used to do more of it and I just haven't had as much time, but really, really knowing the inside of the X's and O's is not something that I, you know, feel as comfortable with. So those yeah. are I think that was a great question, to be honest. And I think what makes our show pretty unique is that we all, all the four of us who do contribute have really different strengths and really different maybe kind of holes in terms of what we do know. Like Evan's really good with the cap. Nathan's really forward thinking with the analytics. Brian, yeah, Brian's definitely right. Like when no one was ripping Amara Darbo, Brian was ahead of the curve on that one. Gary Jennings, he was kind of ahead of the curve on that one this year. And my strength is totally different and, I think what's cool about the two of us too, is we don't think we have all the answers. And there's so many people on Twitter now who are so definitive in what certain things mean and using one stat over another. And there's, there's more than one way to look at things. And I think that's why the four of us are so unique and work so well, because even if you think you have all the answers, there's just not one way to do things. Even Bill Belichick would be the first to tell you that. So I think that's a cool thing about the four of us and how different our strengths and weaknesses are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> I'll take the opportunity to say I always enjoy seeing all the feedback and there are people like, man, they like, they love Evan and they can't stand me or they can't stand Evan and they love Jeff. And like, I think we have, I think that's a, an indicator that we've got different personalities, different strengths, we bring different things to the show. So going to keep doing that and, you know, bring more guests in and, and uh, keep adding to the pile. Now that we've got a system that we feel a little confident in. Uh, yeah, there we go. Hopefully that won't be a problem. All right, next question. Uh, that was a great start. So thank you, uh, Keith versus Russia. Next question comes from Bryce Coots. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Can you guys discuss if you think Marquise Blair is a better free safety or strong safety in the Hawks defense? And secondly, if John or Sua makes the team. Why don't you get us started, Jeff? Okay, so I think the first thing we need to kind of change our thinking on safeties um, we mentioned this last week a lot, and I heard Brock talking about this week, and I couldn't agree more, is in the Seahawks and Pete's traditional defense, there's the free safety that plays single high and the strong safety that plays in the box. I think the way Pete has adjusted based on personnel and based on who he has, I think the free safety and strong safety are pretty interchangeable. So I think you have to kind of change the way we think about that position. And I think, say, if you have McDougal, then you have Blair, which is ultimately what we'd like to see by the end of the season their responsibilities are going to be pretty similar and they're going to be changing based on the opponent or based on the play. And so really if for using the traditional Pete defense, it's obviously strong safety, but I think, man, I don't know if it's a cop out, but I think now it doesn't really matter. Yeah. I'll, I'll save some time with, with mostly a ditto. I mean, I think, I think there's, I think Marquise Blair is more of a strong safety than he is a free safety. Just the profiles that way. Yeah. I don't think it's, it's nothing like Cam and Earl where there was just really clear separation between their skill sets and what their strengths were. And that's one of the things I love about Pete as a coach is he looks at his personnel and people think he's dogmatic, but, and, and there's some things he is, but he will look at his personnel and he will build to the strengths of his personnel. So now he's adjusting to the safeties that he has. Bradley McDougal, better strong safety than free safety. So if, if it is Blair McDougal, you've got two guys that are probably better at strong than at free. 
but both capable. And I haven't seen enough of Blair really manning, like covering in the back end to know if, how good of a free safety he can be. But he seems pretty athletic. He moves well. I am I am all aboard the the Blair hype train to get him to be the the week one starter. Uh, to be really honest, so um, great question there from Mr. Coots. Uh, next question um, at Dylan J Bailey asks uh, if oh wait we forgot one on on um, on uh, Bryce Coots. He asked about Arsua as well. Okay. What's your current take on whether John or Sue makes the team? What do you want to happen and what do you think is going to happen? I would like for him to make the team. I think that they have a lot of the big profile receivers or some of the older guys. They don't have a lot of depth at slot receiver. And if Tyler Lockett gets banged up or if they see he's more of an outside guy, I think they need a, a secondary inside slot. And there was just a play last week where he looked like Doug Baldwin. Their movements were almost identical. So, I like to see him stick around. I think they need a guy like that to kind of counteract the Metcalf and maybe the David Moore. So I would like to see him on the team right now. I'm having trouble with numbers to get him on there. If they're going six receivers, I saw Joe fan, the new NBC writer say he'd be stunned if they don't keep six. So I'm hoping that's what I'm hoping for. I hope they keep six and they hope they keep him. So I'd like to see him on the team and I hope they on the team, but gut feeling right now, I still say no. It is such a tough position to project. It really is. And I, I mean, you can say what happens in the games is going to make a big difference, but we've seen players just ball out during preseason, during the games and not make it at receiver. So there's a lot that goes into that position in the back end of the roster. That's hard to project. And we just don't know. We just, okay. I, I, you just don't know. So, so my, it's interesting it comes up because I've been back and forth and back and forth on this. Right now, if I were to do my roster right now, I would say John Ursua makes it. I would say that they keep six receivers, and I think Malik Turner would be the sixth. So hmm. that's where I am right now, but I could very well change that. And who knows? It's not like the team knows what they're going to do yet either. It, you know, We sound like we're waffling all over the place day to day. The team, Gary Jennings, I mean, he had a big day the other day, and you heard it from Russell, you heard it from Schottenheimer, you heard it from multiple people that he needed to do that. So now his chances go up a lot. He's already done more than Amara Darbo ever did, and they kept Darbo. So, you know, you got to figure out how they're going to handle that. And maybe a guy like John Ursua is someone that you could sneak onto the practice squad. And Gary Jennings is less likely. It's, it is a, it's going to be a really tough cut um, for sure, no matter how they do it. All right. Uh, continuing on with the receiver. <laughs> Hazzy Warhola asks, do you think Jazz Ferguson could be coached up and would be willing to play tight end? I, I can't say willing. I don't I have no idea. I've never met Jazz. I've never talked to him. I don't know. But I would say right now he would probably not be willing to play tight end. I think it's obviously possible to coach him, but I think right now he's a developmental player, a receiver. He's starting to show some pretty interesting flashes, and I think someone in the league would pick him up probably before a position switch. So I'd say that's a pie in the sky thought right now. Yeah, I will say – 
it took me multiple practices before I could tell he was not a tight end. Just, he looks like one he's wearing 87, which looks like a tight end number. So I, he definitely looks like it. He doesn't move like a tight end in the same way. You could say Jimmy Graham doesn't move like a tight end. and Travis Kelsey doesn't move like a tight end. So you could see it. It's possible. There's been no talk of it. And if they were really considering it, I think they would be giving me a look already. And the thing is they, they need tight ends badly right now. So if there was a time to do it. It would have been like two weeks ago where they were signing like three guys off the street. Yeah. And if you look at, you know, a guy, a new guy coming into the league, receivers get more money in general than tight ends. And he's not going to be ready yet to forego being a receiver. That's what he's wanted his whole career. So it's unlikely that you'd see that kind of switch. And even if he did, I don't know whose position, like whose spot he would take because He's not taking Disley's spot. You know, he's not going to take Jacob Hollister's spot. And then maybe you cut Vanette and Ed Dixon. Uh, it seems like a real stretch for, you know, when you've got two guys that, you know, you, you know, you can play with. So we should come back to the Vanette thing. Number one targeted tight end on the team last year might not make it. I'm currently not making it on my roster. All right, now we get to Dylan J. Bailey uh, asks, if Smith is good to go, meaning if Geno Smith is good to go against Minnesota, who should start after Wilson, Geno or Paxton Lynch? I'm going to go with Paxton Lynch. I want to see if he can build on what he did last week. I think they, the team knows what Geno is at this point. I don't think anything he can do in the preseason can really alter their minds much. He was pretty bad last week, but he's coming off a week where he won't practice. His knees, he had knee surgery to get a cyst out. So you're not going to see him at his best regardless. I want to see Gino. I mean, I want to see Paxton play against maybe second stringers or even some of Minnesota's first stringers and see if he can transfer some of the stuff he's been showing in practice. And especially that he showed against Denver's probably third string guys and see if that's legit. Because if you can get a guy who was a first round pick a couple years ago, he's going to, the problem, the Seahawks keep every year having to find a new backup quarterback. If they can get some like long-term solution at that position, and Geno keeps talking about like how he thinks he's a starter at this point still, which is pretty crazy. And you don't have to do this Austin Davis thing every year or Brett Hundley or cutting Alex Magoo. If they can find like a long-term answer in Paxton Lynch there, I think that would be good for them. They can stop having to fill that position every year. So if they can solve that with a younger player, and someone who's probably more developmental at this point, I think that's the way to go. Yeah, it, it seems pretty straightforward to me. You, you, they've already, I think, even mentioned it. Schottenheimer said that Lynch is going to get uh, time against the backups um, as opposed to the, the third stringers, I guess. Um, but, yeah, so Lynch will go number two, and I think that's the right thing. I will just say what I said before Lynch has absolutely been the more impressive quarterback during camp. I don't think from play on the field, I don't think there's much of a doubt of that. There's a lot that goes into a quarterback that you can't just see from making plays on the field. And uh, so I still think Geno Smith is the odds on favorite to be the backup, but Lynch is coming on strong. Uh, and who knows? The guy was a former first round pick. Maybe he's putting it together. Maybe this is the right system for him. They got to give it a shot. So I, I think, uh, I think he's going to be the guy and it, this is a huge game, huge game for his career. Like we're getting tired of preseason. 
Paxton Lynch is not. Uh, all right. Um, well, we already talked. There's another question about how many receivers make the final 53. I think we've already covered that. Uh, last question I've got here from that came in before the show, and then we can turn our attention. We'll, we'll pick one of our topics, and then we'll get back to some Q&A from, from the chat. Uh, I think it's at Cron Nickel. Uh, serious question. Why is David Moore a lock? He's a borderline undrafted free agent player. I feel like Jazz has shown way more than Moore has. Not to mention Moore disappeared last year, and he only he only runs routes. The only routes he runs are comebacks and goes. What's your take on that, Jeff? I think people are too, a little too hard on David Moore, and I think they're basing things on Jazz is doing things against third-string players, and, yeah, maybe he's got a better body type for a – an X receiver or what people projected as a Z, but I think Moore really showed a lot last year in the second half. I know he fizzled at the end and his numbers in the last like seven games were pretty bad, but he really took a big step forward. David Moore was coming from a place where he was a really raw player at a very small school. And the fact that he was able to show things for the first half of the year last year, I think that's a big thing you can move forward with. And year three is usually a big year for receivers to jump forward. I think the team is really, really high on him internally. I might be wrong about that, but that's the sense I get. I think Russell's really comfortable with him. And I think he's a guy that you can develop. And in year three, he's a guy who could take a big jump forward. And Jazz is a project. And I think they need players who can play now. And you have no idea that Jazz can play now. And I think Jerron Brown is a much more interesting topic than David Moore. I think David Moore is a guy that who can really take a step forward this year. And that would I think I thought he showed a lot last year before the end of the season. Yeah, I could feel already, Jeff. David Moore is going to be this guy that I'm going to be consistently supportive of. And, you know, folks are going to, you know, have issue with him. And I, I really think people forget what he looked like for four or five games where he was pretty dominant he he was really really good and I think a lot of people attribute his fall off in the second in the later part of the year 100% of that to him there are a lot of throws that were nowhere near catchable that went his way uh there were potentially like you know uh, plays that weren't designed to go to him um it's not that he gets off scot-free of course he could have played better at toward the end of the year there were some drops this and that but for a second year player he took a massive step forward so I, I just I don't see why anybody would be down on him right now I can see why they might be excited about a guy like Jazz Ferguson and maybe that's why it's driving some of that but I you know this team just lost Doug Baldwin They've got really one receiver who's proven himself. Jerome Brown has not proven himself. He's been, you know, a third receiver for Arizona and done fine, but he's not, he hasn't proven he can be much more than that. So they got Tyler Lockett and that's it. So then you're not going to then say, let's take Tyler Lockett, Jerome Brown, and then everybody else really has never played in the league. They're just not going to do that. So, we lost you again. Your, your mic, I think, came out. Okay. Am I here good? Yeah, you're good. 
Um, yeah, then they'd have Metcalf, Jennings, or Sua, or Ferguson. That's four rookies you're talking about. So can't do it. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, that's that's a fan roster, not a NFL roster. Like the guys that that know that they're. I mean, if Tyler Lockett goes down, they got to have guys that know. I mean, David Moore last year could play one position, one receiver position. He now can play all three. Yeah. There's a lot of rookie. There's guys rookies this year that are, they're going to only be able to play one position. DK Metcalf, I guarantee you, is only playing split end, and he won't learn how to do the other roles. Maybe he never will. Um, he's kind of a classic split end. But anyway, if you're looking at Ursua, he may only learn one role. Jennings might only learn one role. So it really limits what you can do if a player goes down. And Tyler Lockett's far from you know invincible out there. Yeah. All right, let's um, let's switch over for a second and talk about one of our, our topics here. Um, uh, it's, it's related to this. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to think about it at all. I've been kind of going through it. But when you look at the Seahawks, I, I think I read somewhere that ESPN's um, top teams under – they ranked the NFL teams talent under 25 years old, and they had the Seahawks like dead last, something like that. Really? And yeah, I'll have to double check, but they got a couple of good drafts in a row. I do. I think they they have. And so one of the things I wanted to ask and talk about a little bit is first first and second year talent. So rookies in this class coming in and guys that were drafted last year. Thinking about those two draft class, are there five guys that jump out for you that you think could have a breakout year uh, this season? Yeah, I think so. Last year, one of the keys to the Seahawks season, everyone talks about Russell and the offensive line change, is they did have guys jump forward and have breakout years. Jaron Reed became a double-digit sack guy. Uh, Chris Carson was, by almost every measure, a top-five running back last year. Um, Bradley McDougald became a Pro Bowl-level player. Uh, Frank Clark was a guy you didn't know how he would do without Michael Bennett. He became a double-digit sack guy and got $20 million a year so. Looking at this year, they're going to need guys like that again. So the guys I'm thinking of, we'll start with Trey Flowers. Uh, I'm, I think he could take a big step forward. Obviously, the fear is that he takes a similar thing as what happened with Shaq last year and plays at what he determined as a D minus F level. But I heard a thing the other day. I think Kurt Menefee mentioned it during the broadcast or on radio that uh, Flowers called Peanut Tillman in the off season and was working with him on forcing fumbles and the famous punch move and. Apparently Tillman was really impressed with flowers and his like proactiveness and how, how strong he is and his coverage skills. And by all indications, he's had a pretty good camp. So I think he would be a, he would be one of my obvious picks. Another one for me is Rashad Penny. I know um, he didn't, he did hit a really rough rookie year. He dealt with injuries. He looked slow. He had weight issues, but I think he's going to really step forward. I know he's not going to be like a dominant player. I still think Carson's the clear number one, but I think Penny is an obvious fit as the guy who jumps forward this year. I think he can handle a lot of the snaps Mike Davis got last year. I think he's got some bursts and he can be a nice compliment to Carson, which really does add a big piece to their running game. So I think Penny, I think Flowers. Um, let me think of another one. Uh, Jacob Martin would be my third one. Yeah. Jacob Martin's pressure stats were really, really good last year in a limited sample. Um, I think based on opportunity, based on the fact that they have such limited depth at defensive end, he's going to get a lot of time to play this year. And I think he's looked good. He's looked, he looks like a player that can flash and he 
more playing time will help him. So those would be my three that jump to mind. Yeah, I think if I'm going, I'll try to go from five to one. I don't know if I'll be able yeah. to do this live, but you know, number five for me would be um, I think it'd be Will Disley. I think oh, yeah, forgot about Disley, and and I think he showed so much in his first two games. I don't I don't expect him to make that a regular thing every game, but. Nick Vanette led the team in tight end targets, like 42 targets or something. Like you give Will Disley even close to, you know, that or more. I think he can be a really productive player in the system. So, um, yeah, that's a great choice. He's number five for me. You know, <laughs> uh, I'm looking at Michael Dixon, but I won't mention him because he's pretty much all pro already. So it's hard to yeah, say. He's already, he's already peaked. But um, I, I think that. Trey Flowers is a good one at number four. I, I don't have as much confidence about what he's going to do this year as other folks, but a lot of folks are really excited and he surprised me last year. He's a guy that I definitely missed on. I thought was going to really struggle and, and didn't, he just didn't play nearly as poorly as I thought he would. Um, and he definitely forced fumbles, which was a great skill. And we've seen what Byron Maxwell's done with that here. And we have to hope that he, he continues that. Uh, so he'd be four, three for me is, um, is, uh, Marquise Blair. I, I think yeah. that, I think he should be the starting safety opposite Bradley McDougal. Anytime you get a starter, I, I think, I think he's a guy that will be similar to Earl Thomas, not in the talent level, but in, he is going to do everything to make plays. He's going to make mistakes at a million miles an hour, but he's also going to make huge plays at a million miles an hour. So I'm really interested and think he's going to impact the team. I think two for me is DK Metcalf. Oh yeah. You know, I think he's a really hard guy to project as a rookie because on this team with the amount that they throw and how many times they hit the, the split end, Historically, if you're looking at that, he's not going to get more than 30 targets this year. And there's just not much you can do with that. But Russell throws to him all the time. He looks for him. It, you know, it, there's chemistry there. He's got talent that other guys just don't have. And he plays in ways that other guys don't play. He could break all the rules for this team. He could get this team throwing more often. He could he could blow up this year, but blow up would be 600, 700 yards and seven or eight touchdowns. Like, I think that's probably a realistic that's, like top end for him. Yeah, that's probably the ceiling. Yeah, and the number one guy I've got uh, that could break out this year um, is Jacob Martin. Yeah, you, you mentioned him, but it's possible he could be a double digit sack guy this year. I think that that's asking a lot, but if Ezekiel Ansa is going to be able to play and give us snaps, then Martin's going to be going up against lesser tackles. And I think he looked really impressive in that first preseason game. He looked as good, I think better than he did last year. And that was my concern. I, you know, when I've talked to him, he seems pretty happy with how he did his first year. And, you know, I always worry that guys aren't going to be as hungry once they've tasted some success, 
but he looks like he's really improved. So that's five guys and I could keep going on. I mean, anyway, so those are five guys that, that jump out to me that I think all could be breakout players for the Seahawks this year. Yeah. I think, th- I think Disley is a great call. I think he has better receiving skills than the team even probably thought if he can stay healthy and he's, he recovers from that crazy injury. The team seems so comfortable with him. Schottenheimer gave him unbelievable compliments yesterday. And I, I think the guy I was most excited about almost coming out of that last game was Ugo Amati. And he's a guy, I, my expectation, just seeing him play, and I don't know what kind of role they're going to use him in. I don't know if he'll be a full-time nickel player or just special teams. He really jumped off the page to me. I don't know if I'm overreacting to one preseason game, but he just looked like a player. He reminded me like of watching Walter Thurman. A different kind of player, but just when you saw him play, you're like, this guy, this guy has it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. He, there are certain players that just look really comfortable on the field. They look like the game, like they're meant to play the game. Didn't mean that he was like athletically dominant or made a ton of plays or anything like that. He just looks smart. He looked quick. He looked physical. I think he's, you know, guys like that, like Jordan Babineau right? Like they just find their ways to make plays and stick around. And you look down five, six years later and they're still around. So um, I can't believe that I forgot. I got to add a zero. If, if Jacob Martin is one. Yeah. One a is Puna Ford. Oh man. That's, that's the pick. I mean, we, I mean, Puna Ford, I was looking up his college stats today just to oh, see. Oh man. Like, that would be my number one. He he had like only a couple sacks in his college career. He had a number of tackles for loss. And I was like, well, Jaron Reed, he didn't probably – Jaron Reed only had a few sacks as well. So you could say that maybe he's going to get more pressure than he showed in college. But either way, Puna Ford's a guy that was undrafted free agent last year and could be – could be a Pro Bowl level talent depending on how things turn out. So I, I'm really, really interested to see what he looks like. Yeah, that's that's disappointing. Both of us forgot. I think he has to be number one on my list. Uh, I think he's going to take a big step forward. And he was being blocked by. I mentioned Shamar Stephen all the time because I thought he was absolutely terrible. He was bad. He was being he was being blocked by him, and to go from and if Puna gets the increased snaps and now he's more comfortable. I think he might be the best player on this defensive line all year. And I don't know how Ansa is going to do. And it sounds like Ansa might play week one in the end, but I think Puna might be one of their best players that yeah. Pro bowl isn't out of the, it's not crazy. Yeah. I'm really, really looking forward to seeing him on, on uh, Sunday night. I, I think he's yeah. announced himself uh, that he's back. So uh, <laughs> I'm looking at the chat now and there's a couple of you like, wait, you didn't say Puna Ford. Yeah, so, that's our fault. That's a, that's a miss. We, we got there eventually. Thank you for your patience. Uh, all right. Now we got some, let's, let's take some questions and we'll get back to some other top plan topics later. Uh, James Glenn in the chat asks, who's going to play free safety? Popular question. I mean, uh, what we've said before, James, is, is I think that you're going to see less of a free strong split. I think the days of Earl and Cam are behind us where there's really clear roles. I think you're going to see Bradley McDougal, I think he's going to be paired with Marquise Blair sooner rather than later. Or even if he gets paired with Lano Hill, Lano Hill is going to play in his first preseason game on Sunday, it looks like. 
he was the odds on favorite to be starting this year. So both Lano Hill and Marquise Blair are similar strong safety types, but can play both. So I think Blair is more interchangeable than, than uh, Lano Hill, at least from what I've seen. And so if Lano starts, maybe it'll be a little bit more classic Bradley at free and, and Lano at strong. But I think that, I think it's going to be Blair and McDougald sooner rather than later. And you won't know play by play who's the free and who's the strong. It'll vary. Yeah. I'm hoping that Brian's right. I, I'm, I'm, I just don't see anything from Tedrick Thompson. I know see, we mentioned that um, David Moore might be like the public enemy this year. If Tedrick Thompson keeps playing, I think that's the guy that Seahawks fans like the new Jermaine Curse or like Byron Russell or whatever that guy was who used to play free safety. Brian Russell, maybe. Brian Russell. Yeah. 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 People hated him. Um, but yeah, I just hope they, the Tedrick thing, they move on from it. He's fine as a backup. Sometimes it's okay. I know Seahawks fans will always hold it against them because George Kittle was there. Eddie Jackson went a pick later. And Tedrick look, just looks like a backup player. He doesn't look, doesn't have a unique strength. And that's what Pete believes in. Marquise Blair definitely does. Marquise Blair jumped off the page. You couldn't watch that game and not see something that you've never seen out of Tedrick. Yeah, I think I think we're seeing my guess, and I'm fingers crossed, like it's one game, gotta see him continue to do it. But I'm hoping we're seeing a Matt Flynn, uh, Russell Wilson trajectory here where Flynn, people forget, started the first two games of preseason and then Pete gave Russell the start in Kansas City in that third preseason game, which is a big surprise. And Russell took it and just dominated, right? I'm hoping like this week, we're supposedly going to get Tedrick and uh, Bradley McDougald again at safety. And then Blair and Lano Hill are supposed to be the second unit. I'm hoping by the third preseason game, we see Blair getting reps in the first with the first team. That would be a great indication that we're heading the right direction. All right. Uh, question from void. Do you guys think Shaquille, I'm assuming Shaquille Griffin makes a jump this year. Where are you on Shaq Griffin? Jump from last year or jump from year one? Uh, interpret it as you'd like. Well, he, if he doesn't make a jump from last year, that is an absolute disaster. He was terrible last year. It's, that playoff game, he, he was atrocious, but he was playing on an injury. Um, I think he does take a jump. I think he's going to be closer to year one. I don't think he's going to take that second-year jump. Maybe we thought he was. I still, see, I still don't know if he's a good enough with the ball in the air and good enough at turning his head around and making plays. That was something we almost took for granted with how good Richard Sherman was. And it's hard watching him play for another team because they really need a guy like that and a playmaker in the secondary. So I think, I think Shaq will return somewhere close to his first year where he's a pretty solid player. He's in position, but he still lacks that playmaking dominant form that we kind of hope we can get out of that left corner spot. So I think Shaq will have a solid year, but I don't know if he's going to be like a pro bowl, pro bowl caliber lover player. Jeff, do you by any chance know off the top of your head who the number one rated pro football focus um, defensive player for the Seahawks was in week one of preseason? Week one of preseason. This last game. Calitro? Good guess. Um, it was Akeem King. Wow. And 
I think he got like an 86 grade, something like that. And there were been some reports of Akeem King getting some rotational snaps with the number one defense above Shaq Griffin. That could be one of the big stories. If there's real competition starting to emerge there. Uh, You know, I actually, I will tell you Shaquille Griffin profiles more to me as a nickel corner than Akeem King does. So it would be interesting if they ended up flopping a little bit, although I still think Amadi is pushing for snaps there as well. But in any event, um, you know, I think Shaq Griffin looks better than he did last year. I think he's going to be okay. I'm, I thought he was on the path to potentially being a pro bowl level corner. I'm kind of off that for now. He's got to show me that he can make plays on the ball. If you know, right now, all I've seen is he's a guy that can keep people from getting behind him. Uh, that's not enough. So, so yeah, it's a big year for him. I would say um, to Void, who asked the question, um, I think he's going to make a jump from from last year. I'm, I would, I would bet 52, 48%, 52% chance that he'll be better than he was year one. So I think it's more likely that he'll be better, but I don't know how much better. Uh, all right. If he makes the Pro Bowl, Evan's going to get a Shaq Griffin tattoo on his face. Oh, God. He promised. Yeah, well, we might as well make the promises <laughs> for him because you know it's going to happen. You know he won't follow it anyway. Uh, Chris Henderson asks, do you guys think uh, Upati will start week one? Yeah. So, I'm, yeah, go ahead. I'm assuming he's healthy 100%. Um, I, I think he's the kind of guy, he knows the system. He's he was with them all OTAs in minicamp. He's played under Solari in San Francisco. Assuming he's healthy, which is a big assumption. He's had bad injury problems the last two years. I think that's 100% lock, especially if Phil Haynes is hurt still. He hasn't really practiced at all in camp. And I do not want to see Ethan Posick go against Geno Atkins. That matchup scares the crap out of me. Yeah. I, so I will say that there are a couple um, Real Hawk Talk audience members who have said that they saw in practice the other day, Upati on the side field trying to do some running and in real pain and getting carted off the field. This was not reported by any reporters. I have not seen any reports of it since, but the reporters are not watching that side field all the time. So it's possible that this is true. I can't confirm it, but I will say it's a rumor. And I think it's from reputable people that um, two different people said that they saw it. And if that's the case, he had just gotten out of his boot. We could hear about this from Pete next week that Upati's timeline got extended. And this is what I was mentioning the other day. We haven't seen that line really play together. And Ethan Posick, I don't think is that good. I mean, I think he's an okay pass protecting uh, offensive lineman, but he is not strong at the point of attack. So, you know, I would have hoped that a Jordan Simmons could be in there or Phil Haynes, if he could have just be gotten healthy or, you know, there, there's some other players, but if they're having to play with Ethan, Ethan Posick, I think that's a huge hit to the line. So as of right now, my bet would be that it's going to be Ethan Posick starting week one. And uh, we'll just have to see if, if uh, somehow – what those folks saw was not actually a big deal. Um, and uh, the Ipati is back. 
How is Jordan Simmons doing? We, there hasn't been much talk of him at all. He had been doing fine, but then he got injured. Yeah. He played really well last year. He did, but he's just been hurt his whole career. Yeah. So um, I don't think yep. you can count on him. Posick is the uh, Tedrick Thompson of offensive linemen. I think that's a fair way to describe it. Um, all right. We've got a question from Jeremy Damon. Uh, injuries aside, what's the floor for this team as it currently stands? Is this a potential six or seven win team, even if they st- stay healthy? I'd say the floor is uh, seven wins. I think that assuming a lot of things go wrong. I think anytime you have a quarterback like Russell Wilson that gets you to seven or eight win mark automatically. Uh, The the reason I say that is I just, last year when everyone thought the bottom was going to fall off on them, I did a lot of research on teams who had a lot of turnover and had a really good quarterback and Drew Brees and the Saints. I know Brees is probably a little higher up than Russell in those years, but those teams had nothing. They were like ravaged by the salary cap. They had no talent. They had no young players. They traded away draft picks. And every year those teams won seven games with Sean Payton and with Breeze. I think this team has a lot more talent than those Saints teams that won seven games in a really hard division. So unless everything falls out from under itself with Chris Carson and and Dwayne Brown and Bobby Wagner, I, I think I don't see less than eight. I don't see less than eight ones. Yeah. I haven't gotten my prediction yet. So, you know, I'm not going to give a super solid answer here because I, I like to take my time and really think about this after I've seen the team a little bit more, you know, I, I think this team, you know, with Russell Wilson and with the team, what they've got on offense, I think is a seven to eight win team minimum. Uh, yeah. That's, that's the floor I see. So I, I think they could be more, I think that I could be talked into more than that, but they've got a tough division. They've got tough, you know, some tough games to play in the schedule. So I think seven or eight wins seems reasonable as a, as a floor. Uh, that is not a prediction. That is just the worst it could possibly be. That's the worst case scenario. Uh, all right. Um, let me flip over to Twitter for a second because there's some questions there. Um, Clayton Smith NFL says, hello, Jeff. And uh, <laughs> hello, says, Clayton. who starts week one on the defensive line? Oof. I'll go first. I'll, I'll name a couple. Maybe you name a couple. I'm going to say Ezekiel Ansa is the Leo. Okay. And I'm going to say. Phew. I'm going to say Puna Ford. I'll take the easy ones. And then who are your other two? Who's your five technique and who's, who's next to Puna? I think Quinn and Jefferson is going to play next to Puna. And I think Marsh might be the five technique week one. Hmm. I'm going to go with, I believe, I think they're going to end up with, Al Woods playing next to Puna. Yeah. I think they're going to surprise folks and switch things up. Maybe well, that's, more like what they, that's more of what they used to do. Yep. And then maybe Quentin Jefferson plays five technique. So they go with a really heavy front. Yeah. That, that might be my best guess on starting defensive line week one. All right. Um, Not good. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Um, 
other questions thought okay we got a question here where did it go the question was thoughts on lj collier and i gotta find who asked it but what are your thoughts on lj collier this was oh from void again oh mike got pulled out oh uh, back here yep we haven't had a chance to really see Collier because he got injured so early in camp. I had heard pretty good things that he was doing pretty well and he was actually, some of his skills were pretty transferable right away. And he was going to be more of like a power rusher. And from the sounds of it, I know when Rappaport was at Seahawks camp, Ian Rappaport from the NFL Network, he had like a kind of off brush comment that Collier's injury was not nearly as bad as everyone thought. And he's probably going to be back for early part of the year. When the way Pete talked, it sounded like he might miss the entire season. So since then, apparently the boots already come off and the injury, in fact, turns out that it seems like it's going to be a lot less severe than we thought. So Collier might get back into the mix a lot sooner than when we last time we talked and we sounded like he might, well, they might have IR'd him or he might have missed like 12 games. Yeah, I I'd certainly had hoped that LJ Collier was going to either him or Rasheem Green would emerge and win like the five tech role. And there's just no way that's going to happen, at least for Collier yeah. at, at this point. And uh, the hope is that he, he he's practicing close to the season and he can start to be available and on the active roster and contribute. But I have nothing to say about what I think of Collier. Cause I just, I didn't get to see him and, and uh, I'll have to, I'll have to have eyes on him before I can give you an educated opinion on it. I'm not going to just guess. Exactly. Uh, Chris um, asks, uh, do you guys think our pass blocking will improve or will Russ get sacked 50 times again? Now, Chris, let me tell you, that question is flawed. So pass blocking and sacks are not tied. They're not the same thing. So you know, I actually had a really interesting conversation with Ben Baldwin on Twitter yesterday, I think. Maybe it was today. I can't remember. But in any event, talking about a lot of evidence that shows that sacks are actually primarily a quarterback stat. And that if quarterbacks go from team to team or even scheme to scheme, sacks are one of the few stats that tend to stay constant um, across, across that for players. And there's a lot of reasons why that can be, but um, I'll get off my, my, uh, my soapbox here, but I'll just say, you know, I think the best way that they're going to get the sack number down is for Russ to get more confident in this offense, to get rid of the ball better, to have more confidence in his receivers uh, and, to, you know, have an offensive line that does give him better protection. It's not obviously all on Russ. It definitely isn't the, we've seen zero second sacks. So there's not much he can do there, but even in those situations, if he had identified where the blitz was coming and could adjust protections, you know, he could be putting himself in better position. So I, I think that that number is going to go down. I'm going to be bullish and say it's going to be in the high thirties. That would be a big improvement. Yeah. I think with Russell, there's always, we talk about all of Russell's great strengths all the time. And one of the things Russell does is he just, he holds onto the ball too long and it's, 
for all the great things, it's just it's something that's consistent in his game. And that's something obviously we, that number I think is always going to be high. I think if you can get down to the high thirties, I think that's a big jump up because for all the great plays Russell makes, there are a lot of times where I find myself and I know other people do find myself frustrated with that. And you watch a guy like breeze or guys who just go through the pocket and gun the ball out so quickly. That's just not Russell's game consistently. And he's going to take sacks. And I think that's just part of him. And then when you combine that last year with they had Sweezy and a Fetty who can get bull rushed off the line or with, so those are those quick ones. I think somewhere in the forties is realistic. Yeah. I think that that's, that's uh that's fair. Uh, Brent McKinney asks, does Travis Homer play on Sunday? I'm going to say no. It's, it sounds like he's not ready to practice yet. And it's unfortunate because no one's really jumping up at that third running back job because CJ Procise is not playing again and McKissick is banged up. And I don't know if Bo Scarborough is the guy or some guy they signed off the street. Um, so I say no. I don't think he's ready. I think the third game is probably the best target for him. Yeah, people will be thrilled to know that my next 53-man roster will not have C.J. Procise on it. Uh, I think the oh. one thing that he could not afford to do was to miss more time with an injury, and he has. He's now missed too much time, and I think he's going to miss two games, and it would be really foolhardy for the Seahawks to spend a roster spot on that. So, yeah, I think that Travis Homer doesn't look like he's going to play either. I think he's in a better position than CJ Procise, given that he's got roster control, contract control for four years, and uh, you know, as a special teams player as well. Procise is not, so I think Homer's in pretty good shape. I wouldn't worry too much about him making the roster. It's more of a question about you know, I think. I want to know when J.D. McKissick's going to get back out there. And I'm just really curious how they're going to run that role. There's been some talk of, you know, well, Chris Carson might get some third down snaps. We've heard Pete and, and Schottenheimer talk about that. I really, really like when they have McKissick or a ProSize or someone who's a true receiver as a running back in there. I think that's a big opportunity that they missed a lot of last year with a guy like Mike Davis, who really was just a backup running back. They're talking a lot about Carson's targets and catches this year. So hopefully they don't overcompensate, which they've tend to do done in the past, but he's a really interesting player to watch and how they use him and his role seems to be different. So that's, that's going to be a lot of fun because he had, he does have pretty good hands. Uh, all right. Um, and I want to say thank you to, uh, Jerry's camo gave us a little donation in the super chat. Really appreciate that dude. You're the man. Um, all right. Let's see. Me and Brian keep agreeing on everything. Come on. Find one where we don't agree on. You know, we're, we're kind of like, we're, we're pretty chill that way though. I, I know. I, I want to at least get one question where we're on the opposite um all right uh let's see ah roberto kosich hopefully i pronounced that right says who do you think will win the nickel cornerback job i would like to see ugo amadi win the cornerback nickel cornerback job that to me is the best case scenario i think I think it's going to be a three-headed monster to start the season. I think it's going to be matchup-based, and I said this last show. I think that 
they're going to play matchup, I think, against bigger slots. And we saw what they did in that Kansas City game. I think Akeem King, who Brian said earlier, is not a traditional nickel guy. His game doesn't really fit that role. And I think he plays against bigger slot. I think the small, quicker, Cole Beasley, Julian Edelman, guys like that, I think Amadi's a good fit for them. And then somewhere in the middle, I think that's where someone like Kalen Reed might play. So I think it's going to be a matchup-based system, and I think they're going to play a lot of nickel defense with just different looks all year. The cop-out, but that's honestly how I think they handle it. Yeah, I, I, at this point, I'm going to have to assume it's going to be Akeem King. Um, you know, I, I've been pretty clear that's not the guy that I'm, I'm super fond of for this, but I really like Akeem King, and I understand why they want to get him on the field. So uh, I think he's the best guess. Kalen Reed supposedly is going to start there this week. So we'll see how he plays, and there's been some good uh, – I have not seen, honestly, I just have not seen Kalen Reed coverage, so I can't comment much on him, but he's playing well enough to be getting this opportunity. So big opportunity for him. I'm an Amadi guy. I want to see him on the field. I think he, he and Blair, like those two guys as rookies playing together would get me really excited for, for the future of the team. Uh, we got two more donations. Uh, Sireem, uh, thank you for your donation, as well as uh, Colin. Colin, dude. Uh, always for Colin. Man. Um all right, uh, we're going to switch back to the topic and then we'll get back to questions in a second. All right, uh, we always, we tend to be very optimistic guys, Jeff. Uh, although a lot of folks complain that I'm super pessimistic. I don't know exactly where, but I will tell you how I feel regardless of whether it's positive or negative. The question I wanted to ask though is, I think you and I get excited about guys that can take steps forward. Are there guys that you think are going to take a step backward this year on the Seahawks? And it might not be a player that you think will, but who's a guy you're worried will? Probably McDougald. Hmm. I think McDougald really played probably peak value last year. He was a really good player in this defense. I think he's going to have – he was battling knee problems at the end of the year, and I think that's an issue that could – be a recurring thing with him and I don't think he's gonna like dramatically drop off but I don't know if he'll be able to match or jump forward on what he showed last year I think last year he really played almost at a pro bowl level he was a really really good player I think he might be a realistic drop off but really there's not a lot of guys who I think Jaron Reed would be the other one Jaron Reed's the obvious one to me he played way over his head last year not in a crazy amount just I think he'll play well when he returns but double digit sacks that that having Frank Clark beside him, I think I don't see him return to that level. But and really, Tyler Lockett's a tricky one because he's going to be moved around a lot more. He's in a new role, but he had the most efficient season in NFL history. He was the most perfect passer rating. I think he'll have a good year, but I don't think I'll, I don't think it's possible to have a year like that again. So those would be my three guys, and I still think Lockett, McDougal, and Reed will be pretty decent. But I can't. The Seahawks don't have a lot of aging players. They have a lot of young players that are have their trajectories pointing up. So that's a cool thing about their team. A couple of years ago, they were going the other way. And I know Chris Ballard, who's considered to be one of the best GMs in the NFL, when he wrote an article uh, for Monday Morning Quarterback or NBC, pointed out how well Schneider's kind of flipped the roster over. And now you're starting to see it on, defensively. Last year, we talked about how shitty they were all year. And all of a sudden, they are guys – who are 
they're guys who are they're interesting. Like they have a lot of interesting young players. And a couple of years ago, they we talked about those drafts from 2013 to 2017 for so long, and they've kind of they're pointing up. Yeah, I think I think you hit on a lot of the good ones, so I won't spend too much time covering. I think Bradley McDougal's a guy that I think had his career year last year. I didn't think he had that in him. I didn't think he had a Pro Bowl level level in him. So he showed me for sure uh, that he's got more than I would have expected. I just don't know. I mean, he's still battling a little bit of injury. That's a guy I worry about a little bit. Um, the guy that really jumps to mind for me is Shaquille Griffin. I, like, I'm, I'm just worried that he's going to – I don't – I'm not predicting it, but that's a guy that could – could have a step back year could have a year where someone else takes his job it's it's definitely possible so those are two of the guys that that jump out i will name a third guy for evan uh which is our kicker mr myers he had a pro bowl year last year kicking can be very unpredictable and you know he may he may not be the player he was last year Evidence is that he looks all right, although he was very much on the right side of that uh, that upright um, in the game. But but uh, yeah, that was those are guys that that stuck out to me. I think another one like Fluker is an interesting one. Yeah, but what would a step back for Fluker be though? Maybe more consistent with his career. I think his pass pro numbers were pretty good last year, which was kind of an outlier. He was considered to be just a dominant run player and not great pass blocking. And he was pretty good pass blocking. When he wasn't playing, like there was a big drop off. Um, I don't know. I'm reaching here. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. I, I think, you know, I look at Fluker and Upati and I just kind of assume that they're going to be injured. So, you know, that's the part I'm kind of, uh, you know, trying to figure out how, how much we're going to get out of them. I think when they're in the lineup, I think the Seahawks are a better team, but there's a real concern that, you know, they'll get to an important, important part of the season and those guys won't be available and they'll have not nearly as talented or as experienced players trying to play those roles. So Jordan Simmons did well last year in that situation, but we have not seen as much from, you know, we don't know anything about Phil Haynes at this point. Um, he was starting during OTAs when there were guys out. He's been injured himself. So I'm expecting he's going to be PUP. It seems very likely that he'll be PUP just to save a roster spot. And that means he's going to be not available for six weeks. So, um, okay. Uh, oh, and thank you to uh, Kyle Gibson uh, for your donation. Appreciate it. This is great, guys. Really appreciate it. Um, all right. Let's see who else has questions. Um, Sam dog, the infamous says, don't skip my questions about jazz Ferguson. Uh, there's a lot of questions coming in, so I don't know what his question is. Yeah, um, we don't respond to uh, Twitter terrorists. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I mean, I'm, I'm going to assume what the question is. I don't have Jazz Ferguson making the roster. I, I, I think there is single-digit percent chances that Jazz Ferguson makes the roster. 
Um, I think guys that have a better chance to make the roster include Gary Jennings, John Ursua, Malik Turner, um, definitely Jerron Brown, David Moore, Tyler Lockett, and DK Metcalf. And I think there's a case to be made that Keenan Reynolds even has a better chance of making the roster because he plays special teams and can play multiple receiver positions. He can even be an emergency quarterback. He played that in college. So I just don't see it. And it's not because I'm down on jazz or anything like that. I just, when you're a big split end and you've got, literally three very capable players ahead of you at the split end position on the roster. Are they going to keep a fourth? Who's never going to be on the active roster? I just don't, I don't think they will. I don't think it matters how well he plays during the preseason. I think the only thing that matters about how well he plays is whether they can get him on the practice squad. And people think there's no way you can get a guy in a practice squad. there's a lot every team has some receiver that fans are falling in love with right now that their teams are going to try to sign to their practice squad so I don't think it's out of the question that a guy like Ursua or Ferguson could make it and I think Ursua is even potentially a bigger risk because there's a lot of guys a lot of teams that wanted to sign him that's why the Seahawks traded a six-round pick next year to be able to draft him in the seventh round this year yeah and just just one thing we we get excited by the preseason games, but your eyes tend to deceive you. And you got to remember the level of competition. Some of these guys are going up against like third stringers on Denver. It's a lot different than the guys Ferguson would play in if he was making this 53 man roster. So like I know in spring training and baseball executives used to always tell us, like, be very careful what you see in spring training. I saw Daniel Jeremiah tweet out the same thing last week. Preseason lies. Casey Williams is a perfect example everyone banged their head for years that the Seahawks blew it and they did blow it by keeping Darbo, but Casey Williams has had no NFL career. We overreact to what we see in preseason. And that's the fun part. I'm very excited by a lot of things I saw last week, but we just got to be careful of things we see, especially when it comes in the fourth quarter of preseason games. All right. Um, Well, we're going to take a couple more questions, but last time I had a topic I wanted to, Roll around with you, Jeff. Yeah. Um, so a lot of these questions around the receiver groups come down to how many chances they're going to get to even catch the ball. And, you know, I tweeted out the other day what the Seahawks target distribution was last year. That's and I want to dig that up and, and be able to read it off to people. So in case they missed it. Um, it'll help with this conversation. But I want to try to talk to you a little bit about, you know, what are what's the way that you'd want targets distributed this year if you could just do it? And probably you could do it by percentages, but really just kind of off the cuff. And we're not going to be exact with numbers here, but um, let's talk about the targets for last year. So I want to start with, we're going to go position group by position group. And if it helps you, if you want to just do it all together, that's fine. But I'm going to kind of break it down by group. So last year by position, wide receiver, number one targeted player was Doug Baldwin with 73. Number two was Tyler Lockett with 70. Number three was David Moore with 53. Number four was Brandon Marshall with 23. 
Number five was Jaron Brown with 19. And number six was Malik Turner with three. So the way I kind of interpret that is Baldwin one, Lockett two. Moore took over for Marshall. So Moore and Marshall are essentially the same. They're one player. So the third, so you had 73, 70, and then essentially another 73 with those two yeah. players together. And then your fourth most targeted player was Jaron drops all the way down to 19 for four and three for five. So talk to me about how you'd like to see uh, pass targets distributed among the wide receivers this year. How would you like to look? What, what's ideal? How many is that? Is that in terms of just percentage wise or in terms of total numbers? Yeah. I mean, you could do it either way. You could do it either way. Um, I'm probably going to do it. You know, if you want, I can, I can uh, take a yeah, step. You, you kick it off. You kick it off. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the way I'd like to see it, I'm expecting Tyler Lockett to get over a hundred targets this year. Um, I think he could get 110 or so. Um, in 2015, Doug Walden got 104. I think he was getting about a hundred for a number of years when he was healthy and kind of their number one receiver. So I think that's safe. So I, I think 100, 110 for Lockett, I think is realistic. I think he's going to be their top targeted player. Um, and then I think you're going to see like probably around. So, so in 2015, it went 104 for Baldwin and then it went 68 for Lockett and 68 for curse. And then it went all the way down to eight yeah. <laughs> for Chris Matthews. So they really had three receivers. I see them doing uh, like hundred for Lockett, maybe like, um, you know, 70 for, for more. I think more is going to be the second most targeted. Yeah, I think you're going to get maybe 40 to 50 for Brown. And then I think you're going to get 30 for DK Metcalf. So somewhere around there. And then, you know, you'll drop down and a Malik Turner or, or Sua or whoever makes the roster behind him will get five to 10 targets. I mean, and we're spending so much time on this fifth receiver spot we're spending time on the sixth receiver spot like and, what, and they want 50 targets for carson well yeah we'll talk about that in a second i don't think that's actually nearly as much that's not going to suck away as nearly as much as people think mike davis got 42 targets last year at running back so i think carson's just going to eat up a lot of those okay okay we'll get to that in a minute i would like to see my guess would have been lock at somewhere around 90 targets I think that's where I would have them based on the numbers. Um, I'd like to see more and more or less the same kind of number somewhere between where somewhere around 60. I think that's a good number for him. 60 to 70, somewhere in that range. Um, I would like to see Metcalf be the third highest target. I would like to see him somewhere between 40 and 50. So I'd probably flip Metcalf and Brown where you had them. I'd like Brown closer to the 25 to 30 range. I know the team loves talking about him, but I'd he's on the, probably in the last year in his deal. I, I would rather see those targets going to Metcalf. I think 35 to 50 would be ideal for him. Hopefully on the high side of that, hopefully 50. And then maybe 19 to 20 for Jerron Brown. I think Jerron Brown's fine as like a fourth receiver. Guy who could play in a pinch as a third receiver. He's decent in the red zone, but I don't want to see him getting 50 targets. I think that's way too many for just a replacement level player. And then, yeah, whatever's left goes to Jennings or Shua 
10 targets, maybe 12 targets, but yeah. So maybe for going from yours, you had 110, I have 90 for Lockett, a little more for Metcalf and a lot less for Jerome Brown. Yeah. I mean, Jerome Brown catch rate for his career for his career is 54.9%. I mean, it's horrible. Yeah. He's just, he's just a guy. That's what I think. I mean, I've at least come to come to terms with the fact that he's going to make this roster. You know, it's really hard for me to swallow because I, I do. Does he play I, special teams at all? No, but uh, he yeah. does things that they love. He blocks. He, he, you know, people forget that that's a big criteria and they're used to having a curse and even a Doug Baldwin that are excellent blockers and are big. If you look back at the green Bay Packer NFC championship game, when Marshawn Lynch, runs to the go-ahead touchdown um it's doug baldwin who is he if he doesn't make the block 10 yards downfield lynch is tackled doesn't mean he wouldn't eventually score but time after time you look at the big play runs and it's the receivers who are blocking people and they rave about jerome brown's willingness to be a blocker and do other things the dirty work be the guy be the jermaine curse who does not get offensive pass interference for pick plays and do those kinds of things. So, you know, that's why he's going to be around, but it's not, it's not, I like, just don't target him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 as much as I think more is, is a likely number two target. Would it shock me if he ends up taking a, you know, a nosedive and is just, not getting snaps halfway through the year. No, it would not shock me. It absolutely would not. And would it shock me if DK Metcalf demands more snaps with the way he's playing and, and, you know, works that out? No, it would not shock me either. So I I think there's definitely some, uh, there's a lot of unpredictability to how the Seahawks offense is going to play out this year. There's going to be more passes to go around. I know that Um, there's different players. Your number one receiver is gone. You don't have the Jimmy Graham tight end anymore. Like, Will Disley did not play last year. They basically didn't play with a tight end most of the year. George Fant was often there at a tight end. There's a lot of things that are going to change with pass distribution for the Seahawks offense. And anyone that says they know what it's going to be, I don't even think Schottenheimer knows what it's going to be yet. I think he knows what he'd like it to be, but I don't think he knows. Yeah, so, it's kind of crazy that Doug Baldwin story has kind of gone away. I Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a quiet dude, I think, other than when he's on first take. Um <laughs> You know, they lose their best receiver and no one's talking about it. It's pretty good. That's pretty cool. That's that's Seattle sports, though, right? I mean, people don't cover, you know, they don't really think that much about the Seahawks. So uh, let's keep going on the target front. So that was receiver. And and then what running back. So running back last year, Mike Davis got 42. Chris Carson got 24. Rashad Penny got 12. And then both CJ Procise and Trey Madden got three apiece. So let's just talk top three. Uh, I'm going to say Carson. Carson's going to get his 50 targets. I think that's going to happen. Let's say that basically cancels out Davis. I think Penny then gets 25 or so. And I think J.D. McKissick gets another 20. So overall, you know, that has the running back position getting – you know, maybe a 10% bump in total targets. Um, where do you, you see similar? How do you see it? 
Yeah, I see it very similar. I just hope they use Carson if he's taking a lot of those Davis targets a little better. Like last year, they spent so much, so many two minute drills on those little like three yard passes to Mike Davis that just ate up the clock and wasted timeouts. I hope those aren't the targets you see for Carson because Carson is much better in space and much better as a guy you can get on the edge. I think he's really good at that. There was a play, I think in the Kansas city game where they just, they moved him around and they did a play action and they had got the ball to him in space on the right side. I'd like to see them a little, a little more creative with how they use the running back targets. But I think the numbers wise, I think I'm, I'm right with you. I think, I think Carson, if you get him rated at 50, that leaves about 25 to 30 for Penny. And then hopefully about 20 for McKissick because McKissick is really a, a unique piece in this offense that can do things that no one else can, especially if they don't keep precise, yep. which I don't think they will. Yeah. So then zero I, for Homer. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He's a wild card, right? I mean, who yeah. probably, I think Homer's probably going to have a quiet year. Is my guess. Yeah. It's special teams only. Um, tight end last year, 43 targets for Nick Vanette. 14 for Will Disley, 13 for Ed Dixon, and one for Big George Fant. One catch, one target, much better efficient receiver than Jerome Brown. 100% catch trade. Exactly. So it's getting late. Hopefully uh, this is the last thing we'll cover. We'll cover one more question after this if if you're able to, Jeff. No, I can go. I can keep going. Um, So 43 for Nett, 14 for Disley, 13 for Dixon, Ed Dixon, one for Fant. I will say my expectation is I think Disley's going to get 50 targets. So I think he takes all of Vanette's targets. Um, I think that I think Jacob Hollister is going to get another 25 targets, hmm. which is a pretty big jump over the next biggest which was 14 for disley last year i think i think hollister is going to be a meaningful i think he's going to be a lot like uh ryan hannum uh remember him back in 2005 he's going to be a folk hero the guy is going to be a big part of the offense very dependable he's going to make a lot of big plays at big times um and then i think after that i think it's going to go down into single digits i mean maybe ed dixon if he makes the team you know, 10 targets or so, but um, I think Fant might get five targets this year, you know, something like that. It might happen, yeah. but that, that's, I see, I think Disley, assuming he stays healthy, is going to be a big part of the offense. And I think Hollister is going to be a bigger part than people realize. Yeah. So, Cause if you look at Disley, that's those targets only came in more or less four games and he got injured pretty early in that fourth game. So if you just force that over the, that average over the course of the season, you prorate that, that's almost 50 targets right there. And Disley, if he's healthy and he's the guy they want to feature in that role, especially with Dixon injured and Vanette being extremely mediocre and at best, and Halster banged up a little bit, I think 40 to 50 targets for Disley is about right. I think Halster is the next guy. I think Halster is a guy you can move him around. I think. He's a much more interesting receiver than Disley. I mean, than Vanette is. Dixon is more of an all-around complete veteran guy. I think Halster is mostly a purely guy that you can split out or you can move him around. So I think, yeah, 20 to 30 targets is pretty – I think that's pretty fair for him. I think that is where I'd have him too. I'd like to see Disley and – I mean, I keep saying Disley. I mean, Nick Vanette 
I like to see his role extremely reduced. He was hyped as this big blocker coming out of Ohio State, who was like the old school tight end. He is not that player at all. He's just he's pretty mediocre at everything he does in terms of football skills and somewhere between seven and ten targets is where I'd like to see him. And Dixon was fine when he played. You can use Dixon on play action passes and stuff down in the goal line. He had that great catch in the Green Bay game and he had that cool catch in the end zone in the Detroit game. So if he if he makes the team and he's he's probably gonna be PUP or IR for a bit because he's he just had knee surgery. So Somewhere in the 20 range, I think it's fine for Dixon. Yeah, I mean, I I don't see how they're going to take three, um, more than three tight ends, especially if George Fant potentially, you know, it's available as another tight end. So I, I think it's either Dixon or Vanette. I think Hollister's a lock. Yeah. Um, and I, obviously Disley's a lock. So I think it's hard for me to under like to totally conceptualize it, but I think Vanette was their number one targeted tight end last year. I don't think he makes the roster this year. I don't know how often that's the case in the NFL. And I feel a little like out of my skis making that prediction, but I think Ed Dixon adds more to your team than, than Nick Vanette does. And I, I think that they, they would keep him. Now you could say they save cap space by cutting Dixon, but for what purpose that doesn't really do them much good they got like 30 million in cap now and then they got a crap ton next year. So saving cap space now to roll over $2 million. Uh, there's no, no real value on that. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to take one more question. Uh, this comes Let's from go. Jack Nord. And uh, this is something I've seen come up from a lot of people. And we've talked about it on the show, I think before too. Jack wants to know whether we should trade for Jadavian Clowney. No, no, it's, it's fancy football. They, if they were going to do that, they should have just resigned Frank Clark who they knew they, the guy they personally developed. He was a really great Seahawk. Um, I think we're going to really miss him. He was such a fun player, but no, this team is building an efficient level right now where they, they don't need, they just signed Bobby Wagner to an 18 million market setting deal. Russell Wilson's the highest paid quarterback in the NFL to sign Clowney and then trade for him would not only mess up their cap, which they've done such a good job in clearing and it's probably been John Schneider's best work of the offseason, just what they've done with their cap and how they've set themselves up. To not only do that and ruin that, they'd have to give up premium picks in a year where they're loaded with picks. It's not worth it. It's fantasy football. I know they need pass rushers. I know all things being equal, it'd be great, but it's just a stupid move to acquire a player in the last year of his deal. Pay him market rate for a guy who ha- you don't know that well. And I think it would be a disastrous decision and I don't see it happening. Yeah. Yeah. So the situation where it would happen would be if the Seahawks were playing really well and Ezekiel Ansa goes down and he's out for the year. Yeah. And maybe after that, Cassius Marsh or, you know, Jacob Martin also goes down. Then I think you'd see John Schneider say, okay, we're not going to let the team tank. I'm going to go out there and find somebody that can help this team. Cause I'm not going to let one position pull the whole team down. And he might do something that mortgages the future to do that. We've seen him do it before with, 
Sheldon Richardson. Um, you know, he did it with Dwayne Brown. So he's, he's, you know, he's made these types of moves. It's not like we can say that it's out of character for Schneider to make a move like that. But I don't think there's any reason that he would do that now. I think they feel good about how they're set up at that position. I don't think that they want to add another high price uh, veteran, especially one that's had some injury history. And like you said, he's been playing in a very different defense, very different. And it's unclear exactly what role he'd play here. He could be great. I think he'd probably, Pete would know how, what to do with them. Uh, Clint Hurd uh, would, would do well with him, but yeah, I think it's highly unlikely um, unless there's other compounding injuries and it's not just injuries. I think you'd need to have the Seahawks already starting to play really good football and for the, there'd be something potentially really at risk by not making a move like that. So Highly, highly unlikely. And, uh, you know, let's hope that people are talking about Jacob Martin and, and uh, you know, Puna Ford and, and other guys that are just taking the league by storm as, as young up and coming players and, and that are under club control and that we're not talking about uh, paying veterans like that um, at this point. So good question. Get a lot. Not a dumb question at all. No, but. No, no but definitely not something I think the Seahawks should be getting into. No, we got to give them props for that Dwayne Brown trade though. I think that's an A plus trade in hindsight. A minus. Um, A minus. Jeremy Lane. Yeah. Jeremy Lane screwed it up, but man, I saw someone just tweeting that crushing Houston that they, they badly need a left tackle. Now they got Deshaun Watson on the rookie deal and they're wasting it away. And they had a premier left tackle in their building last year. He was one of the best players in the league last year, Dwayne Brown. I don't think he gets enough credit for how good he was. So that's a trade that really worked out because they did have like Reese Odiombo playing left tackle. And oh, God. So that's a position where, yeah, Brian said you'd make a deal like that. But Clowney, I just don't think it makes sense, especially what they just did with Frank Clark. It just, it would go against everything they accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, agreed. Agreed. I just, I do, I have to give an A minus just that because imagine having an extra third round pick instead of Jeremy Lane. I mean, that's what he cost us that bastard. Yeah. I guess that's not really Schneider's fault though. Yeah. Well, it's that little, sh- uh, yeah. Well, uh, Jeff, I, I want to make sure you get some sleep because uh, I know it's late for you. And thank you, everybody that tuned in. Uh, it's always fun. There's so much going on. We're going to have a post-game show on Sunday after the, the next preseason game. So that will also be pretty late, even later for, for uh, Eastern time, folks. Don't know that Jeff will even be able to make that one, but we'll be there for that. Uh, again, if you haven't already, would love to have you guys join over at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Hawk blogger, huge, huge way that we're building up the pod. We're also like, we've got cable Thanos. We've got will from rain city series. There's stuff that, you know, they've got jobs, but if we can raise enough money, there's some really cool things that they can do. Bring new content, Seahawks content to Twitter, to the team, to the channel. Um, but I have to be able to say, here's what we'd be able to pay you guys in order to make it worth their while. Um, Cause they've got a lot of other stuff going on. So uh, please join up. We've got some targets we want to hit. We want to get to, you know, 400, 500 patrons if we can. And uh, I think right now we're at around a hundred. So we need to add a bunch more. We'd love to add you to the mix. We're going to try to make it worth your while. 
So we'll find ways to, to make it fun, um, bring you in. We might even be able to bring folks onto these pods as uh, uh, to ask questions live um, and join and, and talk with the team. So there's other things we'll look at doing. But patreon.com slash hawkwalker, please join up. We'd really love it. Appreciate your support. If you know someone that should be a sponsor of the show, you work for a business, you have a friend, you want to do a just goof on Evan and have Evan have to read a spot where he talks about how great something is that, you know, he hates. You could pay to be a sponsor and make him do that. I will make sure that happens. Uh, if you want to pay and have Nathan talk about how important the running game is, I will see if I can make that happen. So there's lots of things we can do uh, and the way to make it fun for you guys. Love to have you sign up. Otherwise, subscribe if you haven't already. Like, comment, um, you know, give reviews on iTunes. All that stuff super helpful. Uh, and have a great rest of your night cannot wait for Sunday night. It's going to be great to get another Seahawks game. This is going to be get starters playing. We're going to have a lot to talk about more tape to review and uh, uh, we will cover it all with you guys. And it's great to kind of getting this community built together. So thanks for tuning in. Take care and go Hawks.